As we dive back into our study today, Pastor David is talking about how Paul had been humiliated and yet didn't let that stop him from telling others about Jesus. And again, despite the lousy audio, it's a powerful lesson for all of us. Here's Pastor David. You gotta take that seriously because how many of us have let embarrassment or fear of other people keep us from sharing the gospel or standing up for what is right in different situations? I have. I've been. I've been in a situation where it's just like maybe I feel like I should be saying something or doing something, but it's just it, there's too much fear. Too much fear of how awkward that's gonna be and how embarrassing it's gonna be in some way. I hope that you haven't been there, but, but many of us have, right? And so we need to understand here how serious it is to be shamed in public and how serious it is that they push through that for the sake of these Thessalonians. They did not give up. They did not go home. They got beat down. They got horribly embarrassed. And they're like, we didn't leave. We didn't leave. We loved you so much that we came here to Thessalonica to do it all again, risking the same thing. That's how we were. That was our character. That's not something that comes from human strength, but as he said, from the power of God. From the power of God. That's where it comes from. Right? You can't do that. You can't be bold unless you're bold in God to face the kinds of things that Paul and Silas were facing. They said, that's what we did. We didn't do it in human strength. We were bold in God. So if you've ever pushed through, by the way, I think, I think we can reasonably imply here that if you've ever pushed through embarrassment, fear, so that you could speak the truth to somebody, so you could preach the gospel to somebody, and you push through that fear, then what you did in that moment was you were bold in God. It was God who actually gave you that boldness. You were actually there speaking the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, being bold in God. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome thing that God will do that because as we go out as missionaries for God, we go out with the power of God in His Holy Spirit. And that's where they were. The Holy Spirit through Paul here is again making a case for the distinction, the distinction between the motives of the Christ follower missionary and the other missionaries. The motives are different. The other missionaries are not pushing through public embarrassment, torture, and the rest of it so they can come and have all that happen again. He's saying, look, these other guys want your money. These other guys want your influence. They want other stuff from you. They want to make a big deal of themselves. But their failures, their, their, their gospel, their, their truth that they're trying to push us is in vain. And we follow Christ. We do this as, as missionaries for a totally different reason than they do. The Christ follower missionary will risk life, will risk physical health and embarrassment and whatever else it is to bring you the gospel. Because Christ's follower is bold in God. This is about the character of the one bringing the message. You need to understand that all these missionaries that exist out in the world that are trying, that are vying for your ear, that are trying to sell you something, they all want something from you. They all are looking to get something from you. And you have to, you have to be able to look at it and say, which of these people, which of the people who are coming at me have the character that makes their message resonate? Because if what I mostly want is, well, who, walk in, who walks into uh, an auto lot when you're buying a car and thinks, these people are after my best interest? <laughs> <laughs> or a lawyer's office. <laughs> who goes in anywhere where somebody is selling something and thinks, I can trust this person. They're going to do what's best for me. They really care about me. None of us do. We all know what their motives are. So we go in 
shield up, sword out. I'm not paying more than, you know, we're doing this whole thing, right? Maybe that's what we like online shopping. Not to deal with all that. We know what that's like. It's going to come at you. It's going to come at you constantly. The ideas of the world are going to come at you. What you need to do, part of what you need to do is say, what is the motivation? What is the motivation that this person has for telling me this? Is this somehow helping them? Is this somehow making them a bigger deal? Is this somehow, is it my money? What do they want from me? What are they getting out of this? And you need to look at that motivation as you look at the message. Both are important. Motivation, method, message, character. Let's read the third verse. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. It did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Now, the word he uses for exhortation here is, is interesting because depending on the context, this word actually has several different meanings in the Greek. But here in this spot, it's about calling. It's about calling, okay? And so we, we start to see that he's talking about the gospel, the exhortation of the message of the gospel. We start to see that when he's talking about the gospel, that he's not just talking about something that he's saying, but he's saying this is a, this is a calling. The good news that Jesus Christ came, became a man, right? Lowered himself, took on flesh, became a man, died, rose again from the dead, defeated sin and death and hell and forgives and provides salvation and peace with God. That is not just a take it or leave it back plan. Like, hey, do what you want to do with that. You know? That's not the kind of thing it is. It's the truth. And it demands not just a nod of attention or even intellectual understanding or belief. That's not even what it is. It's a calling that demands a response. That's what he's saying. This exhortation, this calling, we put the gospel out there, and it's not just noise. It demands a response from you. You've got to do one thing or the other with it. It's calling to repent, to be saved, to believe on Jesus Christ for eternal life now and in the future, forever. And to take part in the adventure that God has for you. To truly and sincerely follow Christ. To lead others to the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. That's the calling. That's the response that's being asked for. It's not just an idea to think about. Okay, Jesus Christ, you died, and whatever. I'm thinking about that before I go to my next coffee appointment or flip to my next Netflix show. It's something not just to ponder lightly. It's something that calls for a response. It's something that, that, that threatens to turn your world right side up, to completely change your values and your priorities. And to grow and learn from the Prince of Peace and his work. All of that is contained in that word, exhortation there. That's a call, okay? Declaring the gospel, what they were doing in Thessalonica is not a small thing. Whether they were just offering up a possibility. It's a calling, calling for reaction and response. And then he says three things about this, this calling, this thing that he said. Their message, essentially. There's three things he says about it, okay? He says the motives for our preaching, right? We're not from error. We're not in uncleanness. And we're not from deceit. We're from deceit. Three things. They weren't in error. It's the truth. That's what he said. Not in error means it is the truth. Okay? It's true. What I'm saying is the real truth. Big T truth. There were those in the Roman and Greek world, just like there are now, just so you know, preaching that all truth is your truth. It's your truth. There's no real truth. There's only little T truth. Your own truth. 
Right? You have your truth, and I have my truth, and we just, you know, kind of do what we do. Did you think that we came up with that ourselves last week? That's been around forever. And was definitely around back then. Right? This logically flawed view of truth, this is old school. And it was rare at the time, right? He's saying, ours is not from error, like that nonsense. It's not from error. It's not this ridiculous stuff. He's making the distinction again. Christ follower missionary, not in error. It's the truth. What we speak is true. What they speak is not. It's not false. It's not like these other philosophies that are preached to you in vain. It's true. He says the gospel will not come from uncleanness. Uncleanness. Same look. Pretty simple. Our motives are pure. Our motives are pure. We're not after anything, anything other than the salvation and growth in Christ of the Thessalonians, who Paul knew that God loved so much. That's what he was after. Not anything for himself. Some think that this word uncleanness also has a connotation about sexual immorality, because that's usually how the word is used. And it is true that many of the preachers and teachers that would roll through Thessalonica and other places in the Greek and Roman world were peddling a message of sexual immorality. And a lot of times it was connected with religion. There was a worship of sex, right? And so it's possible he's also making the distinction between Christianity and the sex religions, right? The licentious sexuality that was being put out there that they were worshiping, right? But the gospel was different. It wasn't about taking place and taking part in unclean rituals and unclean pleasures. It was about Jesus Christ offering forgiveness for those very things. For the fact that so many had been involved in those very things. The gospel was different. There's a distinction. Now, lastly, the exhortation of the preaching of the gospel was not in deceit. It was not in deceit. This is so important. This is so important because the distinction between the Christ follower missionary and all the other missionaries largely comes down to this. Largely comes down to this. It's not in deceit. At this time of Thessalonica, the people would have been very familiar with some people called the Sophists. The Sophists, made from sophistry. Okay? There were these people who went around, okay? And they were trained in words and argument. Really, really well-trained speakers. Some of them writers also, but, but mostly speakers, right? And they were so persuasive. They could argue anything. They would literally have contests for money to find out who was the better arguer. We now call those philosophers. But at the time, no, they had those two. They had those two. And it was often who was the better arguer who would win, right? They, would, they wanted money. They wanted fame. They wanted to be the best. They wanted praise. Maybe some of them just wanted the satisfaction of the fact they were so good at speaking. They were so good at being persuasive. They convinced people to believe things that weren't true because they were so persuasive about the way they did it. And maybe they just got off on that. We don't know. All of their real motive, we can't see their heart, but, but what the people in the ancient world basically accused them of was being all about money and fame and power and winning and success. Show me the money. They were atheists, right? They talked about the Greek gods and all kinds of stuff, but they were atheists. They didn't believe in any of that. They didn't believe in anything. They, just, they were all about the Benjamins, man. All about the money. That's what they were about. And fame, they come in and they start doing their thing and they want to win these contests and be good at speaking because then the rich people would send their kids to them to teach them and pay them a lot of money to do it. So they could teach their kids how to talk out of both sides of their mouth. And 
and how to say whatever needed to be said to win an argument, whether it was true or not. They would, they would persuade often with like emotional arguments, even though they knew that the truth wasn't what they were saying. They would use these manipulative tools to persuade people. They loved the fame of being the best speaker. They were manipulators and they were deceivers. And Paul writes here that the Christ follower missionary is not like that. The Christ follower missionary does not deceive. He's making sure that these Thessalonian believers, these Thessalonian Christians, the church there understands that the Christ follower missionaries were not trying to trick them like the sophists would. As a preacher myself, I don't play around with trickery and manipulation. It's not that hard, especially with the internet these days, to find supposed facts, right? To find something that looks like facts or studies or surveys that would make an argument, a particular argument, really strong for me that I could come in and use. But I don't do that. I don't use those kind of facts. I could say all kinds of things all the time. And most of you don't have time to go and check everything I've said in 45 minutes. So I might get away with it. And maybe I can even manipulate people into believing things. But I don't. I don't. Okay? Attorneys, possibly some of them may do this type of thing. Marshal facts in a certain way so that their argument seems stronger than it really is. I don't know. It's just possible that people do that. Okay? People can try to manipulate, but that's not what the Christ follower missionary does. The Christ follower missionary ought not to be that way. It's deception. It's deception. I want you to think right now about every political ad you have ever seen, ever. In your life, right? Every single one. And you've probably just gotten a lot of them if you still watch television with commercials recently. Okay? Every single one, regardless of what the ad is for, regardless of what policy it's for or whatever, it seems like every time they take facts, they pull them out of context, and they put them all together to make it seem like only an idiot would think anything other than what their ad says. It's so obvious by the time you've done, you've done watching that commercial that you should do whatever they said. But if it was that easy, why are we even having an election? Like, Mayor John Doe is so good and he's the best and Jesus actually came down and touched him on the head. But the other guy is running the drug cartel and kicking puppies. And you're like, why are we even having an election here? Right? That's manipulation. It's manipulation. It's taking things and turning them into something that they're not to try to get people to think things. And here's the thing. People don't like that. People don't like being manipulated. People don't like figuring out that you're trying to manipulate them. And when you make arguments that way, that's what they feel like. There's a reason why people don't like politicians, lawyers, car salesmen, televangelists. Right? What is it about those people? In all those cases, you feel like these people are trying to manipulate the truth. They play fast and loose with the facts because they want something from you. And Paul is sitting here saying, that's not us. The Holy Spirit is, is through Paul saying, listen, that's not us. That's not who we are. That's not what we're about. We have no interest in that. I'm not saying that no, no believers or no pastors have ever been manipulative. There's laziness in research, and there's even ends, means, ethics about the gospel. People will say, look, the ends justify the means. I'm going to, yes, I'm going to be somewhat manipulative, and I'm not going to, and it's going to be a little bit dishonest in the way I do this, but if the end people get saved, isn't that a good thing? And my answer is no. It's not a good thing, because people, you win people to what you win them with. And what that means is, is that if I preach a Jesus that's a little bit slightly different, right? The Jesus that says, you'll never have any trouble, and things are going to be really nice, and you're going to be 
be healthy, right? And I preach that Jesus to you, and that's who saves you? Jesus didn't save you then, because that's not Jesus. So if I'm manipulative, and I use tactics to try to sell, and what they call in the industry, puffy, right? If I try to puff up, or puff out what Jesus is, because I think that's what you want to hear. Jesus, listen, here's the deal. He's going to pay all your bills. You're never going to get sick. You're going to get whatever you want. You get to go on vacation to wherever you want every year. Everyone's going to love you. You're also going to be thin and tall and, and you know, whatever. Then you're like, why is that way with Jesus? That sounds pretty sweet. But that's not what he's offering. He's offering something way better than that. He's offering you eternal life. That sells itself. I don't need to pretend or play or give you some false gospel, some health and wealth nonsense to get you to believe in Jesus, but people do it. Why? Because they're manipulating you. Now, they may have a heart that says, I'm trying to do what's right for God. Right? The ends, people get to say, justify the means. But you're not saved if, if the Jesus that you're looking for is the real Jesus. If the Jesus I've told you about isn't the real Jesus, then how can you get saved in that? You need to know the truth. So all kinds of ends, means, stuff that goes on. All kinds of it. But that's not us. That's not the Christ follower missionary. The Christ follower missionary ought not to deceive. Ought not to deceive. Some people are still suspicious of Christ follower missionaries, of those who want to bring the gospel to them, especially if that Christ follower missionary I've noticed is a lawyer. Um, they also, you know, go figure, I guess. But they think there's something inappropriate in it for the Christ follower. They must want something. They must be telling them about Jesus. They must be wanting me to go to church. They must be whatever, because they want something from me. Let me, let, let me just set the record straight if you're worried about that. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to trick you. If you're listening to this online or you're here this morning, let me just say unequivocally, we are not trying to trick you. Okay? Other missionaries, other philosophies, I'll agree. They want something from you. They want your money or your praise or some other thing you have to give. That's what they want, but that's not what we want. The Christ follower missionary just wants you. Just wants you. We want your brotherhood or your sisterhood. We want your friendship. We want your salvation in Christ. We have no interest in your stuff. We have no interest in your stuff. Your salvation is what's important to us. What was important to Paul. The work that you do, the money that you give, that's for the Lord. You either love him because he first loved you or you don't. But please, don't accuse us of wanting your stuff. It's not true. It's not true. When we cheer, when we hear that new people in, in, in our ministries in Honduras or in the Philippines or in Alaska get saved, when we cheer about them, we cheer for new believers that have been baptized, we do it right outside the building here or whatever, it's not because we're pre-counting their tithes and offerings. That's not what that's about. We're not like, oh, new believer, more money. That's not what it's about. In fact, it's such a ridiculous thing to think because in most cases, when new believers come and get baptized, it represents the need for sacrificial giving of time, money, and ministry effort by us, not by them. And yet, we're happy to do it. We lay down and die for it because we know how important it is and how amazing it was to us to get that amazing grace that Jesus offers. A new believer is like, it's like a newborn baby, right? And when there's a newborn baby, we think, how beautiful, how precious. We think about the relationship. We think about this, this baby becoming all that God has ever made her to be. 
and, and getting to be a part of that, getting to watch that. And, and they're so precious. They got the little toes, and they're just so beautiful, and they're so special. It's a thing that's pure and good. We're not thinking, I can't wait until she's old enough to take out the trash. So I'm not doing that. And hopefully she'll get a good job and take care of me. And my dad didn't say that kind of stuff to me all the time. I got him when I became a pastor. Um, that's not how we are. That's not how we are. A new baby, a newborn baby in Christ. It's such a beautiful thing. And it has nothing to do with what that baby. What can a baby do for you? Right? You're cleaning their poop up. And that's also what it's like with new believers. Not a lot. Okay. Usually not literally, although. I can tell you a story I'm not going to tell. Okay. Ask me later. We love you. We love you. We want you for you. That's it. We want you for you. We don't want your stuff. We just want all of you. We want relationship. We're not trying to trick you. We're not after your money. We're not looking for what you can do for us. We're looking for what we can do for you. We want to serve you. We know that Jesus loves you. That he looks at you like that baby that we were just talking about. And all the potential that you have and all that you can become in him. And we want to see that. We have nothing more than to see that for you. And that's what Paul's saying here. We're not, this is not about deceit. Our hearts are, are overflowing with love for you. There's a reason why we do what we do. There's a reason why our exhortation, why the gospel that demands, demands a response was given to you. Because we love you. We love you. We're different. We're different than the other missionaries in your world. This is the heart of the Christ follower missionary. And this needs to be the heart of every one of us who serves Christ. What a difference that kind of heart makes. Not wanting anything from someone, just wanting them to know the joy of life in Christ. Do you know that life? If not, everything can change right now as you simply ask Him to forgive your sins and be your Lord and Savior. And if you still have questions about all this or just need some help, call us at 360-885-9000. Or come see us this Sunday morning. All the info you need is just a click away at axchurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be right here next time for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.